Well, welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Marius Skonichny. Uh, he's the founder of Classic Value Investors. He's also the, the uh, author of 11 books on the different uh, investing method or subject of, of investment. Uh, Marius has uh, graduated from Indiana University with a finance degree. And for five years after graduation, he worked in commercial real estate uh, as an appraiser and a broker. Uh, during the 2000 and 2009 financial crisis, he left that industry and started Classic Value Investors. Uh, Marius is a professional investor, which means that he invests his own money to make a living. And in 2009, he started with $10,000. And by 2019, his account reached $1.1 million. And now in 2021 or last year, his accounts reached $7 million. Uh, Marius also shares his investment ideas on microcap explosion. Uh, microcap explosion is actually a private membership website where Marius shares his investment ideas. Marius, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. So this is quite the transition. So you were interested in real estate and because uh, you worked as an appraiser, as a broker, and then you decided that the financial crisis that, you know, you're going to leave all that behind and you're going to be a professional investor, starting with only $10,000. So tell us about kind of like what, how that transition was like. And uh, you must have had some kind of exposure to investing. And uh, before doing that, you don't, nobody just starts with $10,000 and uh, I'm going to go for it and learn on that. So how, how did that transition uh, happen exactly? Well, I think the transition was actually when I was a little kid. I was invested in money ever since I was a little kid. I wanted to be a cashier because I saw cashiers counting money. And I said, I want that job. Uh, <laughs> so I was always interested. I was always interested in money. I was always interested in wealth and how to grow it. And uh, that's why I, I majored in finance in school. And when I graduated school in 2003, uh, you know, college, uh, that was when the books on uh, Poor Dad, Rich Dad were coming out and they were hot. And I kind of got a hold of one of these books. And, and, uh, and that's kind of what steered me towards real estate, uh, but not because I was interested in a career ever since, like I didn't even enter the labor force and I was already thinking about retiring and, you know, being independently wealthy. Uh, and so, but because I didn't have any money, I figured, hey, you know, what's the best, the best way to learn about real estate is, is, is go and appraise, appraise real estate, maybe sell real estate and learn that from that point of view. And so that's what led me to, uh, you know, real estate appraising, then brokerage. And then at first I started with residential actually, and then I wanted to move up to the commercial, but I never ended up in investing in real estate. Uh, that was the goal, but I never did. Uh, what I learned during this time in real estate is that I was more interested in, in studying and understanding businesses. And real estate was just one type of a business that I wasn't too passionate about because it was you know, capital intensive. It was just one type of business. And during the time that I was in real estate, I was studying everything I could get my hands on about Warren Buffett, how he, how he became what he became, how he looked at companies, how he invested. And that's you know, what created passion for, for stock market investing. And then when the financial crisis of 2008, 2009 hit, it, it just suited my personality to you know, go towards an area where everybody is screaming and 
and and and being afraid and being fearful that was just per a perfect fit for me to go into is the stock market investing full time and by that time i was i had ten thousand dollars accumulated which came from a, a sale one of the deals that we had and that was the seed capital to go into a stock market investing so that that's how the transition happened wow this is pretty but you had experience already investing in the stock market at this point. You just had read some things and uh, some books about Warren Buffett and all that kind of stuff. But so how so uh, how did you I think the, the how did someone start like that with ten thousand dollars? You go in the stock market and then you invest, you know, but it's kind of, uh, you know, how you must have some kind of strategy, some kind of tips and tricks on how to allocate your fund appropriately so that you can minimize your risk, maximize your reward and all of that. So any uh, tips? Well, I was already, I was already investing, investing and studying companies at that time for about, you know, seven years on my mm -hmm. own. And to, to be perfectly honest, when you enter a stock market during a financial crisis, when everything is selling off, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a good time to start. Even when you make some mistakes, you know, you kind of get bailed out just because everything is is recovering. But I would say, you know, Warren Buffett is a great teacher and my background in finance and accounting and and and, you know, willingness to truly learn how businesses operate. Um, it, it was just, you know, a natural progression. And also, you know, I um, I tend to not be fearful of trying new things. So, you know, in my opinion, the world belongs to those who are willing to take the risk and, and, and go for things. And even if, even if, you know, it's, it's too risky, just, you know, shut up and take some risk. That's, that's what I like to say. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I mean, Warren Buffett, I think is a great, uh, if people want to invest in, uh, in the stock market, Warren Buffett is, is great because he's a value investor. He looks at it, like, as you mentioned, you look at it from the business perspective. What kind of business is, is it uh, the business operating properly? Are they consistent? Do they have the right management in place and all of that? Then they're thinking about it as a business and how the, how the stock market is valuing that, that particular company, that particular business. And then they can see some kind of like things that are or undervalued and then they would want to invest in that um so what was your first uh like when you got started what was your first kind of investment or the first uh you know types of companies that you you looked at so at first at first i was looking at just um you know the the very well-known companies that everybody else looks at so like for example wells fargo burlington northern or i or can Moody's. see that you didn't like you didn't really like those companies those companies your facial uh, I mean, expression is saying yeah <laughs> yeah well because because uh, but even at that time i kind of ventured out into smaller companies like for example yeah. arc arcticat which was in the snowmobile and atvs uh you see i guess uh, people are not people in general are not even aware of uh, an area uh, a small cap or micro cap space that they just know nasdaq new york stock exchange and it's all great but, but you see, here's the problem that I learned. Uh, one time Warren Buffett was asked at Berkshire Hathaway meeting what he would do if he had $10,000 to his name and he was graduating college, how would he invest that money? And he said he would go into the small, small cap space, obscure places, because this is where the investment industry 
cannot exist. There's not, com not much competition there. As in, as a result of this, the probability, not, not, not assurance, the probability of mispricing is the greatest in this area. And so that kind of stuck with me. And, and I took the teachings of Warren Buffett that there is something, there's a business behind every ticker symbol. And yeah. so if I can understand that business, uh, that's half the bottle. But then I have to be in an area where I don't have a lot of competition. And that's what made me successful over the years is because of that area where there's very little competition. So smaller companies tend to trade on secondary exchanges. Like, for example, they're not going to trade so much on NASDAQ, but they might trade on OTC, which is over the market, or Canadian Stock Exchange or Toronto Stock Exchange Venture. And, uh, and there's not much competition there because uh, you, you have mainly two, two groups of um, you know, investors. You have institutional investors and you have retail investors. Well, institutional investors are in the business of gathering assets under management. That's how they get paid. They get paid a percentage of what they manage. They might get a percentage of the profits, but most of the time they're in the business of acquiring assets. So if you are acquiring assets and you are managing billions of dollars, there's no way you can go out after smaller companies because yeah. you would have to find thousands of those and they don't exist. Yeah. So you have to go after the bigger names. You have to go after the Microsofts, after the Apples, after the Teslas of the world, uh, just because of your size. So yeah. that eliminates you from the micro cap or small cap sector. And then when you look at the retail people, retail investors, well, what do they do? I mean, they chase crypto, Bitcoin, meme stocks, AMC, GameStop. They do everything. They don't even know this sector exists. So yeah. I don't yeah. have much competition from retail. I don't have much competition from, from, uh, from uh, institutions. Uh, it's, it's a great place to be. And, and so that's a good starting point. But just because you are dealing in a smaller space doesn't guarantee you success. It just gives you a greater probability. So once I don't have competition, then I'm like, okay, let me find companies that are promising. Let me find companies that are good because I'm not interested in trash. I'm not interested in, in, in bad companies because I can find bad companies on NASDAQ. I don't need to go to a microcap exchange to find uh, bad companies. I, I can perfectly do it everywhere else. So I focus on great stuff within a smaller space. Okay. Well, that's, that, this, is a, this is a great way of doing it and, and seeing the, uh, I can see that this is a great strategy where you're really focusing on an area of the market that is underlooked where you have, uh, what I would say, you know, uh, and we did the same actually for real estate too, like we were investing in big markets where they had a lot of, you know, in San Francisco and LA and stuff like that. And then we were the small fish in a, in a big pond. And then we basically moved to a different pond where we are the, the bigger fish now. And then we can, we can invest much more successfully uh, in the smaller pond than, uh, than we were in, uh, in San Francisco or LA area. Well, and, 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 think, and think about this, just it's a perfect example because this happens in, in big markets like you know, San Francisco or LA or Chicago or New York. And what's the result of this? You have to pay top dollar for these properties. Yeah. And if you go to tertiary markets, secondary markets, maybe Midwest or, or, or some other states, now all of a sudden you can get 10 caps, eight caps, and That's they right. are not possible in San Francisco. You have to yeah. pay like, I mean, you, your, your cash flow is negative. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's what you get when you have a lot of competition. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's fantastic. 
in the in the micro cap though there's a lot of kind of uh companies that are not that great either like there's a lot of uh, exploration company gold exploration oil exploration and all of that and uh you know how do you differentiate the 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 crap from the from the good good stuff right That's so I'm glad, I'm glad term, you, obviously. yeah i'm glad you 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 said that <laughs> I would say 80 to 90% of the companies that are trading on those exchanges are complete crap. Mm -hmm. Like you shouldn't touch them. They don't have any revenues. They are, like you said, oil and gas, gold and silver. And I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but uh, after losing a lot of money in gold and silver miners, I actually created a playlist on my YouTube channel, why I hate gold miners. And to, to like warn people from this, horrible the worst industry on the planet so anytime i see something something resource in the name something something yeah. mining or minerals i stay miles away from those companies uh so the first of all the way i find the companies that i am interested in i will go through every company on an exchange so for example uh, there's an exchange in canada called canadian stock exchange not a lot of people know about it but it's it's an exchange that's known to be an exchange that uh, caters towards entrepreneurs. So there's okay. about 700 to 800 companies listed under the exchange. And I would go through every single company one by one. And it's it sounds like a lot of work and it is, but if you eliminate oil and gas, pharma, you know, if they're looking for a cure for cancer, like, no, thank you. I'm sure you have one, but no, thank you. Uh, so I eliminate those companies very quickly, and maybe you narrow it down from the 800, maybe you narrow it down to 100 that yeah. have a business, you know, that have a business, that have revenues, that have something there. And from there, I'm looking for, uh, for good ones. So from there, I narrow it down to maybe 20, and then from 20, I narrow it down to five that are solid, that, you know, are something that I'm looking for. And then from that five, I ended up buying two. And so I'm looking for real companies. I'm looking for companies that have revenues. That's number one. I'm looking for companies that have high quality revenues. So in other words, if, if their revenues are recurring, that's better than yeah. non-recurring. If their revenues carry high profit margins, that's good. That's better than low profit margins. And I'm looking for some kind of business that has something special with it. It's either good technology or they have something that uh, lacks clients in. So they have a hard time mm -hmm. switching once they are on a platform. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I'm looking for a company that has a long, a long runway of growth because I am not investing in small companies just because I'm investing in small companies that I think are going to become bigger in the future. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe they will become big enough that they will, graduate and uplist to NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange, where they, if they grow successfully, they're going to be repriced correctly. Because uh, the good companies on those secondary exchanges, they don't get the respect that they deserve. Because people that invest in, that invest in those secondary exchanges, they are gamblers. They, I always joke about it, uh, they like to invest in cannabis, oil and oh, gas, yeah, yeah. That's right. silver, pharma. Uh, so I joke about it that they are get high on pot and they're looking for gold. <laughs> 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 yeah. And so when you present them 
with a real companies with real revenues, they don't know what they don't know what to do with those companies. So those companies don't get the attention that they should, which is again music to my ears because this is what I want and I want as little competition as possible. So I get so little competition from the people that are on those exchanges and I get so little competition or non-existing competition from you know people that invest in Nasdaq and the regular exchanges. But that's exactly what I want. I want to identify them so early. I want to study them when nobody knows about them. I want to get a huge position in them. And then when they grow and deliver and get uplisted to a better exchange, then I welcome exposure and everybody knowing about them because yeah. I already have a huge position. Oh, yeah. Well, that's excellent. I mean, I'm looking at your, your strategy here, and it, it is somewhat reminiscent to uh, value investing and Warren Buffett, but you know, like about having recurring revenue, solid recurring revenue, good profit margin, uh, where you have some kind of like either like a loyalty or you're, you're kind of like uh, in a very dominant position in the market. Uh, this is very it's good. Called, it's, well. called, it's, called, it's called a moat. And I also, yeah. of course, stole it from Buffett. And a yeah. moat is a protection. Yeah. A business can have a moat. Like, for example, it could be a brand name or it could be a patent or it could be switching costs. And mm -hmm. because in the capitalistic society, when somebody is successful, competitors want to come in and take that su success from you. So mm -hmm. if you have a business that has some kind of protection, like, you know, people sign up and it's hard for them to switch or they don't want to switch, then no, it doesn't matter what the competitors come up with. Uh, the, 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 the revenues are somewhat protected. And and I like recurring revenues because then I know that every January we don't start from scratch. Yeah. And it's easier to, when you have a recurring revenue model, it's easier to grow revenues because you just add on top of what you already have. And yes, of course, you might lose some, but it's a lot better than losing 100% of revenues every year and starting from scratch. Those businesses that are non-recurring, they don't interest me that much. Yeah. So tell me about, I mean, every, so many people invest in cannabis. So why don't you invest in cannabis? Um, you know, it seems like, you know, the profit margins are fantastic. And uh, so why, why should people be a little bit more skeptical about the cannabis industry? Well, I have a, I have a friend actually that her son is in cannabis. And when he first time got his license to grow, the whole family was so excited. And this lasted about two months. And then they didn't think it was a great idea anymore. Cannabis is a, is a tough business because, first of all, the, the biggest competitor that you have is um, illegal, illegal uh, growing. Second thing is the, 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 winner, the, 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 the winner that wins is the entity that has the best equipment. Uh, so, so the business itself is capital intensive mm -hmm. and then everybody and their brother wants to grow it. So you have a constant increase in, in supply. And when supply increases, there's a lot of pressure on your price, uh, on your revenue and your revenue, you're selling a product that's, you know, unlimited in supply. And also that product is not really branded. I mean, exactly. yes, you can say, yeah. you can say, oh, you know, we have this, you know, premium branded cream or this, like, yeah, stop with that nonsense. It's all, it's all, you know, commodity. And, and also, you know, when they fully legalize this thing, uh, you will have pharmaceutical companies. 
You mm-hmm. will have uh, cigarette companies that are gonna that are gonna have more money, more capital to throw at the equipment. It's just not it's not great economics from that point of view. So yeah. I you know I wish everybody the best that is mm-hmm. in this space because you need all the luck you can get. But I will prefer to go somewhere else. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, I talked to there's a friend of mine that was interested in doing that. He was he was interested in building a farm up in Canada actually. And uh, yeah, I mean, we looked at the numbers, we looked at that, it's like, it was not that good a business. It was so, it cost so much money to just build that uh, greenhouse to do this, the air, uh, air supply and all of that, and finding someone that would grow it at, uh, you know, properly and all of that. And then there was a lot of uh, waste associated with that. There was, you know, there was a lot of risk involved. So it was not as easy as it sounds. It sounds like, oh yeah, you're just growing a plant and then you're, you know, but that it's, it is. And, a it, and bit, it never, uh, it never, never ends. So, so yeah, you, you, gr- you yeah. grow this whole thing to generate certain margins yeah. and then, then your product gets cut in half in price. And then yeah. you have to put more money into it to protect your margins. It's just, it's just not the recipe for success. And as you mentioned too, the branding, I mean, we talked about having a moat and stuff like that. Once, once you produce a, a special uh, one kind of, uh, of uh, cannabis, then everybody can produce it. It's just a plant and then there's no branding. I mean, you just put that in this envelope or this envelope and you put a name on it. There's no barrier to entry. Uh, you have a little bit more maybe on the, um, uh, the edibles and the, these kinds of things, because you can really manufacture them a little bit differently and package them. But yeah, it's the the, the barrier to entry or the moat for these businesses is pretty pretty weak. It's pretty easy to uh, break down, and eventually they're either going to be bought out by that would be the best scenario, bought out by pharmaceutical, or the worst case scenario is that pharmaceutical would start their own, and then they would just crush them you know, almost immediately. So yeah, yeah okay. Right. Makes sense, but yeah, this is the, all the hype. Uh, do you do any kind of like crypto investing, digital, uh, digital currency? Well, the 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 thing with crypto is that when I invest, uh, value is what you get, price is what you pay, or price is what you pay, value is what you get. I, I have no idea what I'm getting with crypto. I know mm-hmm. I know the price, um, the value. Uh, how, how am I supposed to know what I get in value? Because some YouTuber or somebody writes an article that Bitcoin is going to go to 200,000. That's not good enough for me. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, again, you know, good luck to all the people involved in it because you need all the luck that you can get. But that's just not something that I want to be involved in. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. So, so that's, uh, that sounds very good. So what kind of, are you specializing in any kind of industries in these, um, in these small stock exchange or you just look at basically all of them that have a real business and then you start doing your homework about understanding where the market is for that business. So you mentioned Arctic Cat, for example, uh, which is uh, basically kind of like the jet ski. They have like jet skis and they have all kinds of uh, four wheel drives, uh, recreational four wheel drives and stuff like that and motor and uh, snowmobiles and stuff. Uh, so do you do any kind of, like, do you look at that and say, oh, this is a real business. Let me look into this. Let me understand the market, the dynamics and all that kind of stuff. Do you go into that level of details? Yeah. I mean, I will, I will look at any business that I, I think I can understand. Okay. Uh, if the economics are good, if there's some mode, if the re- quality of revenues are good, then I will look at it. Um, 
And so let me give you an example of a company recently, uh, because your audience is uh, knowledgeable about real estate, so they will be able to relate to this. So about 24 months ago, I went through every company on Toronto Stock Exchange. So I think it was like 3,000 companies. And I found this company called Voxter. Uh, and at that time, it had a different name. But for right now, let's say Voxter, V-O-X-T-U-R. And the ticker symbol is V like Victor, X-T-R, V-X-T-R. And uh, you see, I had something special there because I, told, I said in the beginning that I was a real estate appraiser. So this company, uh, what they identified was that there is a problem in the real estate space. Uh, appraisals take too long and they're too expensive. Uh, they are the bottleneck of the real estate transaction. They, they, they create a lot of stress for the broker, for the owner. And there's not, a lot, there's not enough appraisers. Uh, the average age of an appraiser is about 62 years old. And I know that because I've been in that industry. And yeah. usually people don't go into that industry right after college. So it's like a second career. It's either they go and sell candles or essential oils or they go into appraising. Walmart. And they're not really like a technologically advanced yeah. type of people, you know? So, so this creates a problem for the industry. So, so that company uh, was solving the problem and they developed this, this platform that makes appraisers faster. And that platform started to take off. Uh, a biggest, uh, one of the biggest players in the industry are signing up on the platform. And one example is UWM, United Wholesale Mortgage, signed up for the platform in order to speed up the process. And now they have you know, major banks that are signing up for it. And, but they have another division that because they have they have appraisal division, they have a tax assessment division, which helps tax authorities calculate taxes. And they have foreclosure division, where they have banks help with their foreclosures. And then they have this newest division, the title. And what's so interesting about this division is that in the title, uh, the biggest cost contributors to a real estate transaction are appraisal and title. Uh, and, and for low-income Americans, the closing costs, and this is a study by Fannie Mae, the closing costs can be higher than the down payment. And that's really a problem. And title insurance is like a scam. And here's what I mean. When you have a regular insurance, health insurance, car insurance, you pay a monthly fee, and insurance companies collect premiums and they base their premium pricing based on probabilities and about 80% of premiums are paid in claims. In title, only about 3% is paid out in claims, which means it's like stealing money from people that are buying homes. So that pro this, this is problematic because this in unnecessarily increases the cost of real estate transactions. Well, this company, Voxter, two years ago, started uh, talking about a different product called attorney opinion letter to be used as a alternative to title insurance. But just because you have a new product doesn't mean it's going to, uh, it's going to be adopted, even though it might sound great because uh, title insurance might cost you $3,000 depending on your, uh, the, the value of your house. And a, an attorney opinion letter as an alternative can run $500. But 
mortgages, when they get originated, uh, the originator doesn't hold the, the mortgage on their books. They originate it and they want to sell it to the secondary market. And in order to sell it to the secondary market, that loan has to meet all those guidelines. It has to check this, 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 and this. It has to be standardized. And then if it meets that, then yes, it can be sold. So until the attorney opinion letter gets accepted and added to those guidelines, it will never be used because then they cannot resell those loans on the secondary market. April 6, which is last week, Fannie Mae approved attorney opinion letter as an alternative to the title insurance. And it is an absolute tectonic shift in the title space. And most people in real estate have, have absolutely no clue that this happened mm-hmm. because the document yeah. had a thousand, it was a thousand pages long, and there was only two pages about that. And title companies were caught by surprise that this is what happened, but it happened. So now this is being rolled out in four states and it's going to be rolled out in all the states. And so now people will have a choice. Do I use an attorney opinion letter, which cost me $500, or do I use title insurance that cost me $3,000? I think the choice will be obvious. And what's so unique about this is that Voxter has a patent, patent combined with data, an attorney opinion letter. They are the only ones that have this product, and they're going to offer, they're offering this product to lenders and, 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 and buyers, and they're also going to white label this product to title companies who don't have the technology. And, you know, of course, they're going to share the revenue. But from my point of view, because I'm a shareholder of Voxter and I identified this opportunity so early on, uh, and I have about a little bit over a million dollars invested in it, I literally think I will make 20 to $50 million on this opportunity when this starts getting rolled out. And, and people are already slowly, it's been a week and the stock is already up quite a bit because uh, about 30% in five days based on that news. And I think it's because people are slow, slowly starting to learn about this company because this company is not on NASDAQ yet. It's yeah. going to be on NASDAQ either at the end of this quarter or next quarter. And people are slowly starting to realize what just happened with attorney opinion letter. And when they finally realize how monumental this is, mm. the stock will probably continue going up. So this is an example of how I was able to identify something very early on, do my research. And, you know, this research turned out to be correct. And now I'm reaping the benefits of that research. And Voxter is on the Toronto Stock Exchange, you said? It's trading on Toronto Stock Exchange Venture, which is like a sister of Toronto Stock Exchange. But you can buy the shares, you know, normally. You Mm -hmm. can buy those shares uh, on the Canadian Exchange under the VXTR, or you can buy them on OTC under the ticker symbol VXTRF. Last letter is like F like Frank. Um, And one is in Canadian dollars, one is in US dollars. But obviously, when the stock trades on NASDAQ at the end of this quarter or next quarter, then you will be able to buy it the same way you buy any NASDAQ stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is very, this is very interesting. So uh, not only because it's uh, real estate uh, related, but uh, for all the real estate investors out there, this, is, uh, this might be good news when they're trying to finance their property. They just, uh, it would really cut down on their closing costs. And, well, and uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned this because I, I personally bought a house in 2014. And after I bought it, interest rates went down a little bit. And I was thinking about refinancing. Mm-hmm. And 
I looked at the closing cost and I said, forget it. Like, it's not worth it. Uh, so when, you know, Fannie Mae and HUD, what they want is they want the closing costs to be lower. And so, so they are addressing that issue by allowing, for example, desktop appraisals to be done yeah. instead yeah. of full-blown appraisals. Yeah. They're addressing the appraisal costs and now they're addressing the title of closing costs. And, and Voxter is kind of like in the middle of all of it, but you know, it's a company that provides a solution to the problem that, that the, those authorities are trying to solve. So anytime yeah. you have a company that solves a, a problem that needs to be solved, and if you're the owner of that company and you successfully deliver that solution, you should be rewarded for that mm -hmm. uh, resolution. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent. That's true. I mean, this, this is where a lot of people are, they, you know, when they're talking about starting a business and stuff, they don't focus enough about what problem are they trying to solve? What are they trying to do? That Why would people buy from them? Or why would they, you know, hire them to provide a specific service? You have to solve a problem. And yeah, that's true. I mean, being in the real estate business for uh, so, so many years, I, yeah, title insurance is uh, is a big one. The appraisals is also a big one. Not only the cost of the appraisal, which is you know sometimes pretty reasonable in general, like about four hundred, five hundred dollars. That's about eight hundred dollars. But uh, but also because um, the appraisals are so inconsistent, uh, they don't. They, they you have two appraisers go through that same property, and one there would be like you know a thirty uh, like. 40% difference between the two appraisers sometimes. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then That's we, right. so in these cases, I mean, we know our markets very, very well. We know the value of the properties. And then whenever we have a low appraisal, it's like, like what's this guy smoking? And then we, we rebut the, uh, the appraisal and then we have to pay another 500 bucks to get another appraiser go through. And then we get the price that we're looking for that we think it's, it's the correct price. But so these are two big things. So if Voxter is successful in uh, in deploying in the U.S. market, that'd be very beneficial for Voxter, for you, Marius, but also for real estate investors as well. Yeah, and it's not and it's not like uh, it's not like this little dinky company uh, that mm -hmm. is that they already have two hundred million dollars of revenues per year. Uh -huh. So it's not like oh we have this uh, you know product that. We're, we're hoping it will it will be successful no it's it's already happening yeah now we're just talking about will the revenues be you know 200 500 or a billion within a few years uh mm -hmm. but we're not talking about a startup here oh, oh very good so so a lot of concerns about the stock market in general where do you think the stock market is going to be in um in the next year next two years any any projections do you care does it matter I don't. to you I don't because I, I always say to people right now, right now, the questions that you have, you get from people is, oh, is the recession around the corner? Is the housing market going to crash? Should I be buying stocks? Should I be waiting? And I say, uh, last time you asked this question was in 2008, 2009 and 2020. Uh, how did this turn out when you were asking this question? You know, I'm not interested. Like, I, I am interested in buying businesses. And when people ask those questions and when people tell me a recession is coming, um, I am more likely to get those businesses at a decent price. Because if, if the seller is freaked out about the next recession, 
um, he's likely going to accept a lower price. But this is just the weirdness about the stock market. It's yeah. so weird because when was the last time you went to your restaurant owner and said, can you sell me your restaurant because the Fed is going to raise interest rates two times this year? You know, like we, we don't think about these things in the, in the private world. But in the stock market, it's, it's, it's ridiculous how everything is three inches in, in front of people's face. Um, I don't worry about it. I worry about, I want to own good businesses for, for my whole life. I want to be an owner of businesses. And, yeah. and you know, I'm going to take the, I'm going to accept the volatility because volatility is pi- part of the price that I have to pay for mm-hmm. being successful. So your strategy, so you're a long-term investor in, in these stocks. You're not like, a, are, you, are you trying to do kind of, uh, are you trying to do anything short-term or you're really a long-term no. value? No, because, because any success, any success within these small companies, when they need to grow bigger or, uh, you know, uh, disrupt a certain industry, like with the case of Baxter, you know, not, nothing happens overnight. Yeah. Like get, getting every client takes months and, mm-hmm. and, with anything like any success whether you want to you know lose weight or become a champion or master a skill it takes time takes years i I take the same approach with with investing if i can't hold something for you know three five seven years i don't even bother buying it i I don't have any interest in holding something for three months yeah yeah yeah. and that's this is why you're not concerned about any any kind of ups and down in the stock market because you're you're really looking you know, five, five years down the road and, you know, you're going to be fine five, five years from now. Yeah. And, and, you know, when, when you read my bio, it says, you know, I started with 10,000 by 2019, my account reached a million and then 2021, 7 million. Well, now I'm down 3 million. Mm -hmm. So it went from, you know, 7 million to, to 4 million. So like, but that's, that's normal because during the time, the last, you know, uh, 12 years, it started with 10,000. It went to 110. It went to 40. It went to 70. It stayed. It stayed at 100,000 for so many years. Then it went to 40. Then it shot up to a million. Then it went to 300. Then it went to 7 million. Now it's four. It's like volatility is insane in no. in the kind of stocks that I hold. It's yeah. absolutely insane. So, uh, you know. It, if you want to be successful, if you want to make a lot of money, you have to have the stomach for this kind of volatility. There, this is the price you have to pay. If you don't want to pay this price, then buy an index fund, you know, put your money in the savings account and you will be able to sleep well. But sleeping well is not going to make you rich. The, uh, the other thing too is that, so obviously you're an inspiration for you know, people that want to achieve financial freedom. They want to basically live off their investments whether it's real estate investment or um, stock market investment. So how do you uh, manage your money uh, so that you can have income, you know, on a regular basis? Uh, Do you have a, is it a budget thing or is it like, uh, or do you sell a certain percentage of your, your asset on a regular basis for, to pay for your living expenses? How does that work? So I have different products that I, that I, that I uh, release. So that actually helps me with investing because I am myself an entrepreneur that sell products. So for example, I have 10 books that I wrote. Uh, Those books generate revenue. Those books generate enough revenue to cover my mortgage. Uh, I have uh, 
microcap explosions which is a you know private membership website microcapexplosions.com where i share my investment research with people and they pay me a yearly fee uh, so depending on the year i started in 2020 um, we have about 300 members so i make close to half a million dollars from that so that's enough that i don't have to really touch touch my yeah. investments but mm -hmm. from time to time when i see an opportunity whether it is to have like uh, you know a product that is instructional product or videos i make some videos from my uh, on my youtube channel and i have my uh, channel monetized so i make a little bit of money from that so all of it adds up that mm -hmm. you know i don't really have to have to do that but yeah. you know um yeah so that that's how i am able to pay bills and you also have like value investing university right yeah so value investing university.com uh, i used to sell it i used to sell the course it's like a 10 video course teaching you about investing i used to sell it for 500 dollars, but recently i just made it free okay uh because i you know i i want people to really educate themselves so i i made it free people can sign up for an account and have access to it i think it's better for me to society because I wasn't really selling that much of it. So I was like, you know what, let, let people get educated because there's enough stupidity out there, you know, with the meme stocks and all this, like, Hey, you know, if I can, if I can open up people's minds and say that, yeah. you know, stocks are not just some video game, you know, if I can change a few people's lives, it's, it means more to me than just getting a few hundred dollars here and there. Yeah. Yeah, so basically you generated like a number of like multiple streams of income to pay for your living expenses. And then the uh, your stock market is just like play money. basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Marius, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Anything else you want to mention before we wrap up? Yeah, so if you like the philosophy, if you want to follow my work, uh, you don't have to buy anything from me. Just go take the impossible to pronounce my first and last name type it into youtube you'll find my youtube channel and uh, i do daily videos just you know i do talk about some ideas some investment ideas on youtube channel uh and i you know try to educate as much as i can and that's free so you know if you're looking for something like this i would start with a youtube channel and then you know go from there yeah, YouTube channel, and then you also have Value uh, Value Investing University as well. That's free. dot com. Yeah. dot com, and then uh, if you have like eleven books, right? So, what which book? The one book you would recommend uh, out of your uh, you know your series that uh, do you think people should start with? Uh, the first one. Why are we okay. so clueless about the stock market? That's the title. Very good. So thank you very much. And then, uh, you know, and then after that, if you like what uh, Marius uh, had recommended and his approach and his strategy to uh, stock market investing, uh, you can follow him on the, you know, or, or subscribe to his microcap explosions. Um, so, you know, microcapexplosions.com. Um, so that's, this sounds great. Marius, thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.